live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your foolish host, Sean McCraney. We have some special guests here, many special guests actually tonight. But we're going to start off with um, Sophie and Reese, both seven years old, full of giggles before we started. But right, look, at there's none of them now. They're completely ready to go now. And they have a message that they want to share. A one and a two and a three. We love Jesus. He's in our hearts. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, Sam. Hi, Ashton. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, Ashton. We have Jesus in our hearts. We love him. Thank you, girls, for being on the program. Now, you can just walk carefully around that way. You can... You don't worry, she's coming, I promise you. you. You just keep going over that way. And now we have three guests from my second favorite country in the world. That would be Sweden. And uh, they, they made me a flag. And I haven't met them. We, we, we came in and got things set up. Please uh, tell the audience your names. Uh, I'm Christina Halke. Johanna Dahlén. My name is Carl Wahlgren. And, uh, and what brings you to beautiful Salt Lake City? I left Mormon Church eight years ago, and three years ago I became a, a born-again Christian. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> um, we, live, we live south of Stockholm, where it's really a kind of mini Salt Lake. There is a temple there, and all the Mormons in Sweden almost, they have moved into the area. Wow. Yes. So um, two years ago I met Johanna. And we are working with the Latter-day Saints in the area. Very good. And your story, Johanna? I'm a pastor and church planter five miles from the temple in Stockholm. So uh, I have met Christina and we try to, yeah, but uh, the Mormons are going to meet Jesus. Yeah, very good. Wonderful. All right, young man, and you, your story? Yeah, I'm a church planter together with Johanna, and I just slipped in in that area. I never met the Mormon before, but now I have. <laughs> <laughs> now you have. Yeah. And, and, and how is the church planting and work going with all of you? It's a very hard area to work yeah. because the temple has a great influence ah. on this area, and there's about 70 Mormons on one Christian I see. In, in this area. I but, see. Uh, things are really happening. Very good. Yes. Now, the single most uh, important person in my life outside of my extended family, my, my family, my three daughters and my wife, uh, my parents, of course, and in-laws, is my son-in-law. And, and, and uh, his name is Nicholas. Now, would you please give, share with Nicholas something here on screen? He's in uh, Sweden right now with my daughter Mallory and their son Laser. Share something uh, for him. Okay, I gave a short announcement. Sök Jesus. Praise God. I don't know what he said, no. but I heard, I heard Jesus, I think, in there. Yeah. That's all we care about. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the program, and thank you for the flag. We have quite a show tonight. Uh, I didn't expect uh, our early guests right there, but uh, we, had, we have the whole show ready to go. Uh, for Book of Mormon and the First Vision, but I was able to meet up uh, with a guest I'm going to introduce in a while. And you know, if you've been watching Heart of the Matter, that we have very few guests that stay on the program from beginning to end. In fact, we've only had two, uh, Sandra Tanner and uh, Sandra Tanner and Doris Hansen together. 
and tonight will be our third in six years. So uh, I'll introduce you and tell you what this man has done and does, and we want to try to uh, gather up support for his ministry, uh, what he's doing, where he's doing it, so hang on to that. Let's cut through to some messages. Every week, Aletheia Ministries hold a never-denominational Bible study, Lord willing, at the University of Utah. That's Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. On, on your way in from 1 to 2 a.m. 8.20, the truth rebroadcasts Heart of the Matter uh, on their station, so you can listen to that. Then after the Bible study, those of you who are coming out of Mormonism, stay around with Carla and uh, Earl Erskine, and they lead a group called You're Not Alone. And it's for people coming out of Mormonism, Mormonism, and it's a great time for fellowship and to get some support and insights. Lynn Wilder spoke uh, there not long ago with her husband, and so it's a really good thing going on over there. All of this is available for you at calvarycampus.com, www.calvarycampus.com. Then Saturday, September 3rd from 5 to 8 p.m., join us at Murray Park uh, Amphitheater for our sixth annual Burning Heart Revival and Open Water Baptism. This is the only time we get together as a group formally uh, in the year. Bring blankets, towels, drinks, stuff like that. Subway Eat Fresh will once again provide us with some uh, terrific box lunches. Include sandwich, chips, cookie, and drink uh, at a nominal, 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 nominal price. It's a mini stroke. Don't worry about it. And Adams Road will be playing along with Reverb Nation. So uh, I'll be speaking on some principles of the latest book, If Then. And then after that, we'll wrap it up with our traditional end of the night open water baptisms. Go to hotm.tv for more information and plan on joining us Saturday, September 3rd, Murray Park, 5 to 8. A few weeks back, we had a caller boasting about the growth and numbers of Mormonism and about the educational levels of their leadership. I don't remember his name, but he was going on and on about the church being true because of these factors. Anyway, a good friend of ours, Brandon, wrote and re reminded us of a passage out of the Old Testament where God speaks to the children of Israel and he says, quote, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. That's Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. Brandon wrote, I just thought it was interesting because the LDS brag about their numbers, but here God says that he did not choose Israel because of their numbers, but because he, as verse 8 says, loves them and he would keep the oath which he swore to their fathers, end quote. To add to what Brandon said, we know from scripture that in the last days, uh, the body of believers, true believers, could be relatively small. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, few be there that find it, Jesus said. Wide is the uh, way to destruction. Think about that, folks, relative to the size of large groups uh, uh, and the things that they embrace. How about a moment from the Word? When I was LDS, I was frequently called upon to pronounce priesthood blessings upon people who were sick. I was taught that God is a God of strict order and there is a prescribed way to healing the sick through the power of the priesthood. It went something like this. Two priesthood holders would get together, call each other, hey, sister so-and-so is sick. They would go in a pair over to her house or to brother so-and-so's house and the first elder would take out oil that had been consecrated 
dedicated and set apart for the healing of the sick by the power of the priesthood that the LDS claimed to hold. And the first elder would anoint the head of a person and say, I anoint your head with this sacred oil in preparation for the sealing and blessing that's about to take place. Then the second elder would lay his hands on their head and say, uh, Sister Jones, I seal this anointing that has just taken place and I pronounce a blessing upon your head and could give a blessing, and they almost always do, of healing. Uh, the process is very much like the process McDonald's goes through to construct a Big Mac. Uh, it's orderly, it's professional, it's done the same way that it's done in Salt Lake City as it is in Kyoto, Japan. Um, two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. You're going to be healed or, or not. Now, uh, you get it the Mormon way, the corporate way. We're going to close out chapter 20 of Matthew tonight as we go to the Word and read what Jesus did healing some blind fellows. So you ready? It says, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should have held their peace. But they cried more and said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? And they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. In this case, Jesus touched the eyes of the men and they were healed. There was no oil administered, just the touch of the master of whom we are to follow by example, right? But uh, is this the only way our king healed people? Now, there are times when Jesus would tell a person to take an action. Like to the man in the temple, he said, stretch forth your withered hand. Stretch it forth. So he had him do that. Or go to this body of water and wash yourself. There are times when he touched uh, people and there were times when people touched him and were healed. Sometimes people uh, just touched the hem of his clothing and were healed. Uh, and Jesus, uh, on other occasions, he actually spit in the dust, created mud, and stuck it in the eyes of a blind guy. So the Lord, he healed people uh, who were miles away. He healed people who were within his presence. Sometimes he spoke a healing upon them. Sometimes he prayed healing upon them. But one thing is for certain. Our master was not about to be boxed in by religious conformities. Instead, he took pro forma religious practices and he proved that all power to heal comes not by rights and regulations, but by faith but by the power of faith. And uh, where Mormons promote corporate uniformity, which is really nothing more than a means to control their people, Jesus, uh, every act seemed to scream, God uh, will not be boxed. Um, before we go to our guests, a number of you forwarded a number of articles uh, about an LDS man launching the Mormon Defense League last week. On August 4th, Deseret News writer Michael DeGroote wrote, quote, Jewish people have the Anti-Defamation League to stop the defamation of Jewish people. Muslims have the Council on Is uh, American Islamic Relations, quote, to enhance understanding of Mus Islam. Now some Mormons are launching their own group to, quote, respond to false information put forward in the media. Really? 
Mormonism needs to defend itself against false information. Uh, I think I think someone needs to start like a naive person defense league to re to help naive people from receiving false information from Mormon missionaries. Uh, seriously, this stuff is getting comical. It's like it's like Ted Bundy um, starting a group to protect college co-eds. You know it. The LDS Church is forming a, an anti-defamation league when they have done nothing but defame the Christ that we follow and live by. It's amazing. Deseret News reporter DeGroot quotes fair president Scott Gordon, who started the Mormon Defense League, and said that in addition to having articles on the MDL website, which will address common misconceptions like, quote, magic underwear, Jesus is the brother of Satan, and Mormons practice polygamy, Gordon hopes journalists will contact NDL for interviews and to answer questions. Since we started Heart of the Matter, we have had a policy about guests from the LDS Church. Anybody who is an official representative from the LDS Church can be our guest, from a bishop, stake president, 70, top of the line, you're welcome. Any day of the week, come in, you're welcome. Tonight, we want to make an exception to the standard and publicly invite Mr. Scott Gordon, who started FAIR, and now the Mormon Defense League to be a guest on this program. I personally invite this man to come and specifically talk with us about the three misconceptions he named in the Deseret News article, namely magic underwear, Jesus is the brother of Satan, and Mormons practice polygamy, which he says are all misconceptions. I would like to challenge him on that. So please, Mr. Gordon Affair and MDL, come on this program and let's discuss politely these misconceptions. We've sent you an email We've requested a call. We've requested contacts. So far, nothing. Fair guys who are on the internet with Fair and saying all this stuff. Your founder is not answering our request to have him on this show. The guy who gets on the internet and thinks that he can defend everything. He has an open invitation right now to come on. Okay? Our ability to stay on the air is directly related to your uh, support. Uh, take a uh, look at this and consider it.
Now you want to see the difference between an amateur and a pro. The amateur sweats and looks bad. The pro sits calmly like a scholar, smiles, handsome. You know, it's just obvious here. Listen, it is my privilege to introduce you uh, all to a tremendous Christian uh, who has used his skill in filmmaking to reach people all over the world with the truth for God. This is Joel Kramer. And um, you've heard of DNA versus the Book of Mormon. You've heard called to be free. The Bible versus the Book of Mormon. Lifting the veil of polygamy. The Jesus tomb. Un... Jesus, the Jesus tomb. Unmasked. Unmasked. <laughs> uh, the Jericho unearthed. The Bible versus Joseph Smith, and we're going to talk about another one on the way. Welcome, my brother. How are you? Great. Good. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Joel comes all the way from Israel, and he lives there with his family. He's lived there the past four and a half years now. Tell the audience, explain to us what's happened, because you used to be here in the state, up in Brigham City. You're a pastor. Just tell the story of, of how you wound up in Israel. Sure. Yeah, quickly... Uh, yeah, I moved to uh, Utah right after college in Arizona uh, and ended up in Brigham City, Utah. Uh, met my wife-to-be there and, and uh, got married there and spent uh, eight years pastoring a small church called Living Hope and, uh, and enjoyed it. It was a great time and got into ministry to Mormons because, well, as a pastor in uh, Brigham City, there wasn't much else to do but reach out to Mormons, so... Uh, then after a while there, I really, um, I felt like Utah obviously is the right place to deal with, uh, Mormon issues, uh, Book of Mormon issues, uh, Mormon scripture, Mormon history, and so on and so forth. But Israel is the right place to be to deal with the Bible and, uh, the reliability of the Bible. And really for me, that's what it comes down to in trying to reach Mormons is, is I became very passionate about trying to reason with Mormons that the Bible is true and the Bible is trustworthy and that it hasn't gone and uh, have, had all these plain and precious portions missing. And really, if you take that away, that belief which Mormonism is built on, then, uh, then Mormon scripture and the Mormon church in general really has no place. And so uh, I felt it was important to then move the ministry over to Israel. That is just amazing. And uh, so you did, how many, three or four or five videos here through Living Hope? Right, and four. Then, yeah. four. And then you went to Israel to work on one of them, right, to get footage? Yeah, well, I, I went to Israel because, um, you know, another reason I went there is that is that I was getting a lot of criticism from Mormonism that you're dealing, you're challenging Mormon issues, but you're not dealing with the challenges to the Bible. I thought that was a good point. And uh, I, I believe that we as Christians should be about defense, about uh, defending what we personally believe in our own scriptures, and then also challenging uh, the beliefs of others. And so um, when I went there, the first film that we did, I, I asked, what is the number one challenge to the New Testament? And uh, there had recently been this claim, a, a tomb there in Jerusalem had been, uh, there was a claim that the bones of Jesus had been found in this tomb. And so that was, at least in Jerusalem, the number one challenge to the New Testament. And so we did a film, the Jesus tomb unmasked. And um, 
Of course, there's nothing to that claim, but we went through and, and showed why. And, uh, and then the next question was, okay, then what is the number one challenge to the Old Testament? And uh, hands down, everybody agrees that it is Jericho. And uh, so we did a film on Jericho called Jericho Unearthed. Neither of these films have anything to do with Mormonism, but they do have to do with the challenges to the Bible. And um, at the end of the day, uh, it was amazing how, how simplistic and, uh, and, and il how illogical these arguments against the Bible really are. And when you face them at all, deal with them at all, then they put their tails between their legs and they run off because there's really no substance to them at all. So we were discussing earlier, Joel, how the LDS, when you, um, they have, a, you, crit, you question them. Yes. Where are the cities of the Book of Mormon? Yes. And they come back and they say, well, what about this in the Bible? Right. So understanding the criticism of the Bible, what Joe's telling us, is really important in your outreach to the LDS. Because, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's like a tag team when you're dealing with, uh, with Mormonism. Because Mormonism and, and uh, academia, which is largely controlled by secular humanism, uh, they, they work together. They don't fight each other. Uh, they have a common enemy, and that is Christianity. And so uh, it's really the humanistic uh, arguments that come against the Bible. And so uh, oftentimes, it's, uh, I always picture a wrestling match, you know, and in, a, in a ring, and you're dealing with Mormonism, and when they get challenged, then they roll over there and they tag the next guy uh, outside of the ring, and he jumps in, and that's really humanism. And so, yeah, the, the example that you brought up is a good one. Uh, in the Bible versus the Book of Mormon, we challenged uh, Mormonism by saying these 38 cities or more that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon, where are they? Uh, you can't find them archaeologically. And uh, their response literally isn't to come up with a reason of, uh, or anything about these 38 missing cities. It is literally... Well, you're a hypocrite because look at Jericho, they haven't found these collapsed walls, or Kathleen Kenyon, who dug there, hasn't found these collapsed walls. And, um, and then that, now you're dealing with a humanistic argument against, uh, against the Bible. Um, so we brought over the, the only survivor from that excavation from Britain, who dug in uh, Jericho from 1952 to 1958, who is an atheist, and he stayed with us, and we took him to Jericho for... Uh, two weeks, two and a half weeks, and laid all the information out, laid all the evidence out, and in the end of the day, if you watch Jericho on Earth, he folds, because the evidence is there. There is a wall there. There is a fallen wall there. Everybody agrees with that. Um, it's just that the humanistic arguments say that that happened 150 years uh, before, but the evidence says that that's not the case. But, but the, real, you know, the real issue is here is with biblical Christianity and the archaeology of the Bible, we're talking about real sites, Jericho, that really have been dug by archaeologists who are arguing not over whether there was a wall and whether it collapsed, but this 150-year span of time of when that happened. That's very, very different than not being able to find any of the people groups or the cities that they lived in as we have in the Book of Mormon. They're not the same issue. They're not comparable. This is amazing stuff. We, uh, we met beforehand and had a bite to eat. We are able to talk to Joel. It's fascinating. I don't know if he's going to be able to get in everything that we were able to talk about, but you talked about Mormonism in Israel. Will you particularly talk about the school? We talk about what they're doing over there and, and maybe the dig that you were telling us about at Lehi. 
Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the Mormon church is very, very active in Israel. I've been there for four and a half years, and uh, that's one thing that I was very shocked about and not really expecting. But um, to give you an example, uh, Jerusalem is, is here, and then Mount Scopus is just uh, east of that on the Mount of Olives. And uh, BYU Jerusalem is built on that mountain, and how much money they spent to uh, get land overlooking Old City Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, who knows, but it, I can guarantee you it was a lot of money. And uh, it is today uh, the largest uh, non-Jewish school in Israel, and, um, and it, it, it dominates, I mean, the, the Christian universities, I go to a Christian university, and, and they're small in comparison. So they're very active there as far as uh, the academics. Uh, also, they, uh, there are, I, I'm sad to, uh, to report, there are more uh, Mormons digging archaeologically in Israel today than Christians. Um, and what are they digging for? Well, they're digging biblical sites, so they're showing that the Bible is reliable. And, um, and Why don't so, they dig the Hill Cumorah? <laughs> yeah, and they do have their own site there. They have their own site. I say their own site because they're the ones who dig it. It's actually the most dug site in Israel. They dig it twice a year, which is unusual. The other sites are just dug once a year. Its real name is Tel Loya. They call it Tel Lehi. And uh, they've been digging it for several years now. And they have, uh, as far as I understand, great plans as far as showing what they're finding there. Um, the site which I visited and visited with the uh, Israeli archaeologists there um, doesn't have anything to do with the occupation uh, time period that the Book of Mormon is talking about. It's much later, uh, starting in the Persian period, but regardless, they're digging that and they're promoting it, and um, they're very, very active in Israel, and they're focusing on that. I think they've, in some ways, given up on Central and South America as far as archaeology goes, and they're focusing on Israel. And, and why do you, th I mean, you don't know, but why would you suggest, Joel, that they're focusing on Israel in biblical archaeology? What is their purpose? Well, I think that their purpose is that they are, uh, you know, they're heavily involved in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're heavily involved with the archaeology. I think that the purpose is, is as they are challenged about not having the 38 cities found in the Americas that the Book of Mormon talks about, that they will, or are being challenged in all the other different areas, that they will have their own experts, their own scholars in Israel and doing legitimate work uh, in these actual sites, these biblical sites, so that they will be able to speak into those issues and... Um, look more Christian, maybe? Look more Christian, exactly, and... Um, oh, boy. You know, and, and write books on the side, you know, that, uh, that will foster LDS faith in, in Mormon scriptures. Unbelievable. Joel has a very interesting uh, life, upbringing. Tell the audience where you grew up from the age of, was it five? Yeah, I think I was six when I moved over to uh, my father took a job with the oil company in Saudi Arabia. So I grew up in uh, the Holy Land of Islam uh, with Mecca there and everything in Saudi Arabia. Then uh, I spent 15 years in the Holy Land of Mormonism uh, before I moved to the Holy Land <laughs> of the Bible. And so, wow. uh, so, yeah, it's been very interesting. And we've discussed briefly some of the parallels between Islam and Mormonism. Can you kind of just take a second and just kind of 
emphatically share how close, I mean, you grew up from five, six to college age in Saudi Arabia, and you're a Christian pastor and you lived in Utah. How close is Mormonism to uh, Islam? Well, they're, they're practically identical. I mean, it's exactly the same issues covered with different details. And, um, and, and the reason for that, from, uh, in my opinion, is that it's the same spiritual enemy behind both of these deceptions. Therefore, uh, they're very similar. But both of them are based upon the Bible being unreliable, that, uh, that precious portions of it are missing, that it's been corrupted over time, and therefore the truth has been lost from it and needs to be restored, either by the Prophet Muhammad as in Islam or by uh, Joseph Smith for Mormonism, but it's the same issues. The Quran or the Mormon scriptures, it's the same issues. They have the same weaknesses because they were created in a, in a small window of time by a person, uh, by a single man whose mind just couldn't comprehend the future, couldn't comprehend the past, and so both of them are full of errors, full of mistakes. And um, the issues that, that we deal with, both with the Bible being historical and Mormonism and, uh, and Islam having all these mistakes are not complex. They're, they're very, very obvious to anyone who seeks to understand the truth. Great stuff. Uh, one, I, I don't know if I said I was going to ask you about this on the air. If, I, if you don't want to comment, it's fine. Cause, but what, what's your opinion of Glenn Beck and his popularity with uh, Israel? He has these things coming up. I don't even know the date, but it's coming. Another event there in Israel. What, what do you, what's your opinion on that? Well, you know, I mean, the way that I think I'll answer that is, uh, is you know, I live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, it's on this trade route that wasn't even important in ancient times. It's, it's a small little country, you know, uh, and, and it's a small city. It shouldn't be significant. We're talking about a country that, that has no oil, that's so small. If you compare it to other countries that uh, have no oil, you've never even heard of them. And so why is the world so focused on this little country, this little city? And there's no explanation for it, except that God chose it. And therefore, it is, it's his capital. Um, one day he'll rule over the whole earth from his capital of Jerusalem. And so... It's, uh, and for that reason, everybody's focused on it, whether it's Islam or whether it's uh, America or whether it's uh, Mormonism. And so Mormonism, like other world religions, is focused on Jerusalem. And uh, Glenn Beck having his big hurrah there, uh, I believe that's going to take place this month, um, is because of that. And, uh, and so it's... It's part of the confusion. There's so many different belief systems represented in this city that it's, I, I often explain it as this, it looks like a tornado of religiosity. And if you look at a tornado where it touches down on earth, it would be in Israel and it would be specifically in Jerusalem. What Glenn Beck is doing and what uh, Mormonism is doing with their focus there is part of that. Hang on to your hats, folks. It's getting very interesting. Uh, Listen, we have a question off air before we go to Renee and Alex and, and more talk here with Joel. Joel, uh, uh, Joel if, if you have questions for Joel, please call in 801-973-TV20, uh, 801-973-8820. The question is, uh, scroll down, during the Warren Jeffs trial, 
The LDS Church claim they have nothing to do with polygamy, but they still have Section 132. Do you think the media is afraid to bring this up because of the power control of the church? I'll respond first if you have comments, Joel. First of all, Mormonism today, the power here in Salt Lake City, North Temple Mormonism, has everything still to do with polygamy. Dallin Oaks, one of their apostles, has a polygamous wife. His first wife died, he was sealed to her eternally. His second wife is living with him now, sealed to him eternally. That is spiritual polygamy. It's against the law to practice it in the flesh, but they still practice it uh, spiritually, so they do have something to do with polygamy. They believe it's an eternal principle, and even their very living apostles today have wives who are sealed to them for time and all eternity. So when, I don't know why the media doesn't cover it, but they certainly do practice it, and Doctrine and Covenants 132 is still in their scripture. Joel, anything on the polygamy stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think it's another good example of the similarities between Islam and, uh, and Mormonism. Islam, of course, uh, has polygamy. It's something that Joseph Smith looked at. Uh, it's something that influenced him, uh, his personal study of uh, Islam and, and the polygamy there. And, um, you know, a fundamentalist Mormon is going to be, if they take their scriptures serious, is going to be a polygamist. Just like a fundamentalist Muslim that takes their scriptures seriously, is going to kill Christians and Jews. And so they're going to continually be able to convert mainline LDS people into these polygamous groups because it's right there, as, as the question points out, in section 132. Mm -hmm. And that, they can't, they can't hide that. Do you uh, foresee total speculation, uh, <laughs> unity of Mormonism with Islam in more and more in the years to come? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I believe that when we read uh, the Bible and, and how the end is going to come down, that the different religious belief systems in the world are going to unite together and uh, they're going to work together. And the only ones that are going to stand out from that and not cooperate with that will be true followers of Christ and, uh, and will receive persecution because of that. That's right, friends. So get strong in the Lord. Get powerful in the Lord. Read His Word. Make war on the floor in prayer. Understand who he is and don't buy into all this ecumenical growing one world nation garbage with, with school campuses looking down on Jerusalem, the city of peace, where Jesus is our king. Stand firm for the truth. And uh, really amazing stuff, the stuff you're bringing. Listen, uh, also, Joel does, he spends seven weeks, six weeks out digging? Digging, yeah. He's a, he's a digger and he's actually had Tell us, just, the, just kind of just give us a hand laundry list of the things you have actually dug up from the sites that you've, that you've dug in. Okay. Um, well, I study archaeology formally in, uh, in Israel, and I've, uh, I'm working on a master's degree in biblical archaeology. And as part of my studies for uh, six to eight weeks uh, every summer, I dig. I've done a lot of digging in Jerusalem at uh, AI or I. Uh, biblical eye, and uh, where Joshua attacked and burned, as well as other places. But one find, the, the most spectacular thing I've found so far is, uh, is a stone cup in Jerusalem from the time of Jesus with an 11-line inscription on it uh, that was featured in National Geographic, and it, it's written actually in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And, uh, and so it, is about a, it, it talks about a Jewish priest who is worshiping at the, at the temple there in Jerusalem. 
and, uh, and they believe that it contains the most ancient musical notes that, we've, uh, that have been discovered so far. So this, uh, this priest is either singing or chanting uh, a prayer to God. What else? Digging, you found a couple other things? Oh yeah, lots of coins. I found probably just under a hundred coins and uh, a plaque from a Roman soldier name tag with his name on it and uh, yeah, all sorts of things. Now, and, if we could get you out to the Hill Cumorah and, yeah. you, and you dug yeah. for, for three, for seven weeks like you do, do you think... I would you, be arrested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy's been arrested like three times for, for filming filming on public property the LDS uh, events. He literally, what was the place, Clarksville? Clarksville, yeah. Clarksville, Utah, they arrested him for filming something, and he actually was in Jerusalem filming on the Temple Mount uh, Arabs, and he had free, free round. <laughs> so he says it was easier for him to film Arabs on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem than to film some people in Clarksville, Utah, who are a Mormon. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Manti, you've had trouble? Yeah. Uh, Hill Cumorah, you've had trouble? Hill Cumorah, yes. It's amazing. Yeah. This is a world power. I know I'm starting to rant and rave, but it's a world power. It's, it scares me. But, but Go that ahead. issue that you bring up archaeologically, I mean, now that I really understand archaeology and the methodology behind it, if you believe that this huge, these two massive battles that took place on the Hill Cumorah took place and you, have, you own that land, then there is really only one reason uh, that you wouldn't dig there. Um, it's, for the Mormon church, it's not finances, we all know. Uh, we all know that, uh, that, that it's not dedication. It's, it's because they know that they're not going to find anything, and so they don't, they don't dig there. And that, to me, is very telling, and it's, it's another example of how uh, forest issue these issues are. We're not talking about things that, uh, that we don't understand or that are, are hard to follow. These are just obvious. It's amazing. He's, he's much kinder than It's a big fat con. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. It's unreal. They got, they got people in Jerusalem digging in sacred dirt and they won't even investigate their own hill Cumorah and they keep propagating that it's an actual historical book. All right, listen, do you know the answer to that question? Do you know anything about the Lehi and Judges 15, the Samson story? Uh, Lehi and Judges, the Samson story. Yeah, uh, Lehi, um, Lehi means in Hebrew, it means donkey's jawbone. Hmm. And so when Samson uses the jawbone to kill the thousand men, then, uh, then that's what it's referring to. And there's actually a place there on what's called the Sorek Valley that is associated with, uh, with Samson where this took place and the area there is called Lehi. So um, when Joseph Smith uses Lehi in the Book of Mormon, that's one of the ones that he plagiarizes from the Bible and brings over. <laughs> and so uh, tell Lehi that they've called this tell doesn't sound strange to the, the Hebrew ear because it's a Hebrew word. Wouldn't you like to just, I'm all for cloning. If we could just clone this guy, put him in our pocket and just take him out when you meet with these Mormons who think they're so smart. Go ahead, tell them about Lehi and, and, and Samson's story. The tale of it. It's unbelievable. I love guys like this. Okay, we're going to go to Alex in Claremont, California. I wonder if he goes to that school over there. Alex, you're on Heart of the Matter with Joel and Sean. Alex? How's it going, man? Good, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Sean, uh, two quick questions. Uh, number one, um, obviously, why are you doing the show? The LDS church is wrong, yes or no? Yes. Thank you. That's the first thing. Um, 
Okay, what's on? My, uh, basically, I uh, was investigating the church for about three months. I was baptized last year in September, and uh, I was doing a lot of research. I was reading a lot of books, and um, you know what? I just found out that the LDS church is not true. It, I, I don't agree with a lot of it. There have been so many times where I'm just sitting there, you know, uh, during the uh, sacrament and going, are, are you kidding me? And people say, you know, like, I know this church is true and I just want to scream at the top of my lungs, you're wrong. You're wrong. And so I stopped going to church. And uh, that's why my second question here is, um, I, I, I don't know how I should finish my prayer anymore. You know, because I'm so used to saying in the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. How, how, how should I finish my prayer? Uh, you, you can finish it the same way. Finish it in the name of, always, he said pray in his name, in Jesus' name. Uh, those, those habits that you were taught by the missionaries, sometimes they take a while to die. But you just, just turn them to the Lord, Alex, and, and let him step in and work with you. And, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. Because they have drawn you in and lied to you, you just keep doing your prayers like you're doing. You keep believing Jesus. Find a good Bible teaching church out there in Claremont, California. Start going. Listen to your pastor. Always search, seek, question, and you will find more and more of the truth which will strengthen you and get rid of the garbage that's inside. Yeah, man. I mean, I just, I, 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 I was always a Christian. I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I will always, always believe that, and I'm so thankful that you're putting on the show to show the LDS Church what is true, because they're not true, and I don't care how many temples that the LDS Church makes, I am so happy with my decision to stop going to the Mormon Church. So so, um, so are we, Alex. Keep yeah. going, my brother. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, a woman says Mormons are digging in Israel to find evidence for first and second Nephi. Is that right, Joel? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The, the um, you know the whole story of uh, Lehi and his sons that uh, flee Jerusalem before the Babylonian destruction and uh, and, and <coughs> building ships and sailing to America and populating the Americas. So um, the the problem that Mormonism has is the only real place that the Book of Mormon talks about that we can find is when it's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a real place and Israel is a real place, so that's why they're focusing on that. Um, does uh, where they're digging have anything to do with Lehi and his sons? Well, that's something that would have taken place um, before 586 BC uh, destruction. Nothing even remotely close to that time period has been found at this site. So uh, it's, it's irrelevant, but yes, that is what they're trying to do. Excellent. Listen, Alex, if you're watching the show, uh, streaming, Christ Community Church is here in the audience with us. You're going to see some of the kids from that at the end of the show. Uh, they're located 15 minutes away from Claremont, Alex. So check them out, and I'm sure they would be able to help you out with a lot of your uh, questions and things like that. Let's go to Renee in Eagle Mountain, first-time caller, Eagle Mountain, Utah. Renee, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I have actually two questions tonight. Okay. And so when um, I'm talking to our Mormon buddies, I wanted to know, um, whenever we bring up the subject of Joseph Smith's involvement in polygamy, 
um, and the fact that he's married women as young as 14 years old. Um, they want to know where in the world I got that information from, and I wanted to know if you have any idea what source they'll recognize as true when we're giving them that information. Sure. Uh, History of the Church. You can go uh, I use utlm, utlm.org, because you can get direct quotes from uh, History of the Church about things like that. I would also uh, quote Todd Compton, who is LDS. He wrote a book in Sacred Loneliness. That book, he's a scholar, and he, he just documents the wives of Joseph Smith. So if you had a copy of that book handy uh, and you just showed it to him, they could look up Todd Compton and they could see. I mean, it's fact. They could probably do a Google search and find their own leaders today having to admit he was a polygamist of that many wives. Okay, and then the other question I have is, um, how, how do they expect to get to their celestial kingdom if plural marriage is no longer allowed? And Joseph Smith himself said that they had to participate in plural marriage in order to get there. They did a switch on the, on the term uh, celestial marriage, or uh, what, what is the new and everlasting covenant? It now means temple marriage and not plural marriage. So uh, the prophet somewhere did a switch on you, and where Joseph was talking in 132 about it being uh, a polygamous union, they switched that when the manifesto came out and uh, abolished polygamy, the practice of polygamy here. And so what they've done now is they've made that covenant in their understanding for this earth, the new and everlasting covenant and the temple endowment you receive uh, and uh, when you're sealed in the temple to a single spouse. Okay. So they switched it. Okay. That, that, hope, hope that helps somewhat. Okay? Thank you so much. Thanks, God. Renee. God bless. Uh, Chelsea, we, before we go to Chelsea, Joel, is there an LDS temple in Jerusalem? If not, are there plans for one? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, there, there isn't an LDS temple at this point in Jerusalem. Uh, I would be very shocked if uh, the Israeli government ever let them build a temple there. They, had to, they have to follow strict rules. They're not allowed to proselytize in Israel. Um, you don't see Mormon missionaries uh, going around in Jerusalem or anywhere in Israel. And so, uh, you know, it's such an intense place that, that, that I don't think that uh, would ever be allowed to happen for any amount of money. But... Mm. I could be wrong. Money does talk. So, wow. uh, but at this point, no, there's there's no temple there, and um, and of course the the LDS concept of a temple would not go well right across <laughs> from the Temple Mount, where the Jewish temple stood for uh, so long, and where it was central that animal sacrifices be uh, performed there daily, where millions and millions of animals were sacrificed to get for God to get through to. Uh, his people, how important atonement is, that an animal, a, a life must be taken, blood must be shed in order for God to forgive sin, which of course was fulfilled by the Messiah in Jesus Christ. But, um, but a temple, an LDS temple that is about all these other rituals that has nothing to do would stand out in stark contrast to uh, right next to the, where the Jewish temple once stood. And I don't think that would be in their best interest, meaning Mormons, to build a temple there even if they could. You hearing this, LDS? Your, the temple has nothing, your temple has nothing to do with the temple on Mount Moriah, what goes on in the singular temple of the Jews. Nothing. You're hearing from a guy who lives there. 
<laughs> I love that. Hey, listen, but, uh, another question for Joel before we go to Chelsea and West Jordan. Joel, have you heard about an LDS dig in Jerusalem that uncovered brass plates? The caller says they've heard this and there's supposed to be a big announcement. Yes, I have heard this. Um, it was uh, announced this spring about these plates. And uh, seven months before it was announced, I saw these plates. Um, it, I wasn't supposed to see these plates, but I did. And, uh, and the moment I saw them, the second I saw them, Mormon hit my mind. And, uh, and I said to the guy who was studying, I, mean, I said, the Mormons seem to be up to something here. And he looked at me like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, these plates were, they're, they're right out of, you know, the, the temple square. When you go down and look at the plates down there, that's exactly what these looked like. And I think, um, obviously, they've been announced already. Uh, and they came off of the black market. They've uh, already been easily proven that they're forgeries. And, uh, and, and they were announced publicly as a, as a Christian find and, and Christian place. But for me personally, I think it comes down to the, also the, the main so-called archaeologist that's behind this, Elkington is his last oh, yeah. name, uh, is a BYU graduate and connected to Mormonism. That's no surprise. And so, uh, and so really the bottom line is, is I think of two major possibilities. One is, is that there's a rich Mormon that's behind this that um, paid to have these forgeries made. The other is that the underground market, which is very lucrative, made these forgeries, hoping to sell them to uh, the LDS church. Wow. And the LDS church is not at all foreign to people who come to them with forgeries and them buying them either. So uh, listen, Joel, you mentioned something really important. Now, let's just assume those brass plates were authenticated and they, were, they really were over there. But you said something earlier when we were eating about metallurgy in the, U, in the United States with the Indians. What can you tell us about that from your uh, films? Right, I mean, uh, you know, part of the archeology span is in, in the old world and understanding that, and then part of it is, is quite different in the new world. And so um, I, I've interviewed many archeologists in, in Israel and in the Middle East, and then also archeologists in Central and South America, and they, uh, and, and they get quite annoyed with me because uh, you know, I remember particularly asking them, starting with the questions, um, you know, have you found any uh, coins in all your archeology span in the New World, have you found any coins? And the answer is no, there's, they didn't use metal in these uh, ancient American people didn't use metal. Then I have to say, so then no steel swords. And then they know I told you that there, there's no metal used in these civilizations. And so that counts out the armor then, you know, body armor. No, I, I told you they start getting annoyed. And when they get quite annoyed, then I have to ask them about the plates, you know, where metal plates used. No, there's no metal used in these civilizations, you know. And by the time the thing is over, I've made a, a complete idiot of myself. And, uh, and uh, a fool for Christ. Fool for Christ, yeah. And you can't tell you can't tell the person you're interviewing, yeah, what you're doing beforehand. You know, you 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 tell them afterwards, and uh, but that's the level that we're talking about here. It's not about details. It's not about the trees or even the branches or the twigs. That's where LDS uh, scholars want to always take us. They want to take us into complexity to confuse. That's not where these issues are. These issues are in the forest that there's not metal used in these ancient American civilization. That's, that's it, that's, you know, that, that you have all these things that I'm studying now, textual criticism for linguistics, 
uh, methodologies used in archaeology. You can't apply these things to Mormonism because it's a myth. So you can't study the language. It doesn't exist. You can't dig the sites. They don't exist. You can't apply any of these uh, historical methodologies. You just literally can't do it because they don't exist. We're going to run out of time. This has been a, such a great show. We should have had Joel on years ago. But listen, they're having a fundraiser for your ministry. We stand behind utlm.org, and we stand behind Joel's ministry, his family in Israel, the work he's doing, and the, and the films that he comes out with. We, when is this happening and where? Do we have a graphic? It's, uh... Do we have a graphic? There it is. Oh, go to SourceFlakes. <laughs> it's not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Up this in Saturday? Twin Falls at okay. Lighthouse Church. Lighthouse Church, not this Saturday, next Saturday in Twin Falls, Idaho. And what time? Uh, I the spot. <laughs> it, goes it goes all day, day and, yeah. and Joel will be talking in the evening. Go see him. We have three callers waiting. We're going to go to Chelsea quickly and try to move through them quick. Chelsea, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I called you around when I was like nine oh. or ten. Uh -huh. I called you a long time ago, and I was Mormon back then. Oh. And I said, my mom was Mormon, and my dad is Mormon. I mean, my dad is Christian. Uh -huh. I didn't know what to do. So you told me to pray about it, and you actually came down to Utah and met up with me. My dad was Kenny, and I'm Chelsea. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to tell you I'm 13 now, but I have, I've accepted Christ, and I'm a Christian now. Woo! Uh, you know, go ahead, Chelsea. You know, amazing. We, are, we are all clapping, but I tell you, the angels in heaven, they rejoice. The Lord himself could not be more pleased than for you, his daughter now, to come to him by faith, Chelsea, and to now put your full faith and trust in him. We are so proud. We are so grateful that nine years old, now 13, will you give me the chance to perform your marriage when that time comes? <laughs> totally. Okay, when you're 34, we'll do it. <laughs> we love you, Chelsea. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Terry in West Valley. Terry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Sean. Yes. Hi. I greet you in the name of the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home because my mom and dad divorced, and... Uh, my father and his family, all Mormon. So by God's design, praise God, I, uh, I did attend church, receive Christ as my Savior, and my mother as well. I've watched God. your program. I greet you both in Jesus' name. Thank you. And I, I pray for you, and I thank you so, so much. I've tried to refer my Mormon friends and relatives to your program and pray for their salvation as well. Thanks, Terry. God bless you, my sister. Thank you so much. And I may have seen his films, and I'm thrilled. And I, I wanted to briefly, in the bullet notes of my Holman, Holman Christian Standard Bible, uh -huh. a testimony means that which pertains to the law, the Old Testament law. So even the use of, I stand and bear my testimony that the uh, scriptures of the Joseph Smith are true, even that has been perverted. Yeah. You keep going, my sister. Look forward to seeing you. Praise God. God Thank bless. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much. Really quickly, do we have time? We're going to run a spot. 
for an upcoming concert in this town. You ready? Let's run it. No, we're not ready. We're not running it. Michael in South... You know, we don't have enough time. Any, any final thoughts, my brother, on what can you say to the audience for them to consider in their heart with all your experience, everywhere you've been, everything you've seen, what would you like to share uh, with the audience now? Uh, yeah, I'd just like to share that, uh, you know, what I'm learning and what I'm uh, dealing with over in uh, Israel is important, that the Bible is not guilty of what Mormon scripture is. The Bible is not a myth. Uh, it's history. And I think that that is an important message to the Mormon people because uh, if they, as they lose faith in their Mormon scriptures, they need, uh, they need something to stand upon, which of course is the Bible. And so it's not, it's not about just uh, showing the falsehood of uh, Mormonism. It's about showing what is true about the Bible, that it is reliable, that it is trustworthy, and... Uh, and, and that it is history. Praise God. Standing for the Word, defending the Word, cannot beat a ministry like that. Besides SourceFlix, is there a way for them to contact you? How do they support you and what you're doing? Is it through SourceFlix yeah, alone? Yeah, it's, it's through SourceFlix. Okay. We, we used to be known as Living Hope Ministries while we were here. When we moved to Israel, you can't use a Christian name. It gets you in trouble. So uh, we moved to the name SourceFlix. Okay, anything from the handsome students and leaders from Claremont, California, 15 minutes away from it? We're gone! (laughs) I thought we ran out. This is one of these moments in television that there.